Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Psalm 119 and verse number 83, I won't keep you standing long. The Bible says, David writing, he says, For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. The Living Bible says it this way, I am shriveled like a wineskin in the smoke, exhausted with waiting, But still I cling to your laws and obey them. Exhausted. Anybody ever been exhausted with waiting? Waiting can just absolutely wear you out. But still I cling to your laws and obey them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thankful God for this service, for this house of God that we have, Lord, to worship you. Asking you now, Lord, to anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. Lord Jesus, what your word would say to our individual lives. God, help me, Lord, with your anointing to speak the right word of God for this hour. Lord, and we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Somebody said amen. Amen. Shake your neighbor's hand as you're seated. For a few moments of time this evening, I want to minister on this subject, a song of deliverance. A song of deliverance. She had graduated high school and moved away to begin her college studies the following fall semester. After a couple of months had passed, she decided to write home to her mom and dad with an update of current events going on in her life. She began her letter by noting how ashamed she was because she had done something so terribly wrong. She had completely disobeyed all of the moral teachings and guidelines her parents had given to her throughout her life and now began to unfold the details to them in her letter. Just what every parent wants is to hear that by a letter. Several of her friends would frequently rent bicycles on campus to ride around and have a means of transportation to spend time together in fellowship. She longed to do the same, but she didn't have the $10 that was required to pay the rental fee. Mom and Dad, she said, I stole $10 to rent a bicycle so I could hang out with some of my friends. While riding the bicycle, I had an accident and flipped over the handlebars and landed on the sidewalk in front of me. At that time, a young man who was a medical student recognized the seriousness of my fall and helped me. He took me to the hospital and helped nurse my injuries and also made sure that I was okay. As a result, we began dating and things got serious. Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant. And that's not all. Because of our time spent together, his grades in medical school dropped and he lost his scholarship. So Mom and Dad, I'm just writing to let you know that we're on our way home to live with you until the baby is born. And hopefully at that time we can find jobs good enough to get out on our own. But right now we just don't have any money. And by the way, 
I'm really just writing to tell you I got a D in geometry and a C in English. I just wanted to keep it all in perspective. Perspective is exactly what David is giving us in our scripture text tonight. He's setting the tone for what we need to look at when he says, For I am become like a bottle in the smoke. His imagery is so profound, it's outstanding. A bottle in the smoke. But what exactly is a bottle in the smoke? The image of this scene is certainly not one of desirous quality. It is, if you can imagine with me in, in our, our modern day imaging, uh, a glass Coke bottle that is covered with soot being pulled out of the, the fire and it's just lying among the trash heap of ashes. David, who is the man after God's own heart, is speaking personally about himself, saying that he is as a bottle in the smoke. So this brings me to ask two very important questions tonight. Number one, what happens to a man or a woman to cause them to feel like a bottle in the smoke? And number two, how can this be overcome? So we'll start with question number one. What happens to a man or a woman to cause them to feel as though they are a bottle in the smoke? The Word of God makes a very clear point in Psalms 34, 19 that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, everybody say the Lord, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Now it's important to note this evening that verse of scripture that the Lord delivereth them out of them all. Because there's times it don't feel like deliverance. Amen. If we were just honest with ourselves tonight, there's some of you going through various different types of trials and valley experiences in your life here tonight. But the Bible says that many are the afflictions of the righteous. So if I could pause here for just a moment and encourage you that just because you're walking through a valley doesn't mean you've done something wrong. He never promised a, a road paved with gold until we get to heaven. There are going to be afflictions. There are going to be moments in life that, that you desire less than others. There are going to be certain chapters in your life that you would just as soon close them as soon as you open them. Anybody ever been there? You've opened the chapter in the opening lines of the, the, on the first page. Just they, they don't desire anything worthy of my attention, but yet I've got to go through it. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but thank God He doesn't stop there. He says, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. So that gives me hope tonight, Brother Freddie, that God's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. He hasn't forgotten about you and your trial. He hasn't forgotten about you and your valley experience. Don't set you up a mailbox in your valley. Don't you, don't you post a residence where you're at because God is going to deliver you out of every affliction you have. Can somebody shout hallelujah? In other words, the number of my afflictions may be great. But I can take confidence tonight in knowing that the Lord is interested and not only interested that He will, by some measure, deliver me out of every one of them. What a promise we have to know that God will deliver us from our afflictions. 
Afflictions, by definition, are distress or pain or any cause of distress or illness or disease. With this in mind, we can know that our afflictions, though they may be many, they are simply temporary. Now, when you're in the middle of an affliction, it don't feel temporary. It feels like it's going to lag on forever. And it feels like it's never going to stop. But they are temporary. I can't tell you the amount of time you'll spend there. It is going to vary from person to person and your circumstances are different than mine. But the Word of God is just as good for you and me together likewise that He will provide deliverance from them all. Our afflictions may be sickness or disease, pain and suffering. It may be a physical or mental disability, a spiritual battle. It may be a prayer that's not been answered yet, a sin that's not yet been overcome that you struggle with daily. It may be a problem in your family. It may be a problem in your job, problem in your marriage. It may be your enemy is taunting you daily, day in and day out. It may even be those that we love the most, but yet we know that God is interested in our deliverance. David writes in Psalm 139 and verse number 1, he says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. In other words, Lord, You know everything there is to know about me. But there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. He knows your speech. He knows the words you say. He knows everything about you. Thou hast beset me behind and before. You're in front of me and you are behind me. And laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Then he starts asking some interesting questions. David says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Amen. And whither shall I flee from thy presence? Here he begins to answer the questions himself. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, that's what your valleys feel like sometimes. Lo, thou art there, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, he's talking to the Lord in prayer now, thy hand shall lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Mm. That's powerful stuff. For those of you that's going through a valley experience this evening, you need to take special note to this verse of Scripture. Because if I even say that the darkness is all around me and it covers me, that the night is even light about me. In other words, there isn't a darkness that you're in. The darkness that you perceive is only your perception. But if our spiritual eyes could be open to our surroundings, we would see that God's got it all under control. And that God's not far from every one of us. And that in due process, God will deliver you from the afflictions that you have. David continues and he says, Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. 
Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. That, that, that right there is important because ever since you've been born, God forecasted your valley. God knew what you was going to go through today. He, he had the hairs on your head numbered before your mother ever gave birth to you. He had possessed your reins before you took your first breath. Somebody shout hallelujah. And then he goes on to say, For I will praise thee. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. I will praise you, Lord, simply because I am who you want me to be. That's the attitude David has. I will praise you, Lord, because I am what you have made me to be. That doesn't mean we don't strive to be better. We have our human nature side. But whenever it comes to your appearance, when it comes to your personality, when it comes to who you are, the things that we often question, the things that we often don't like about ourselves, the, the, the critiques that we give, and the things that we lend criticism to about ourselves that we wish we could change, you are the way you are because God made you. And David said, I will praise you for that. If God will deliver me from every affliction, if God will deliver me from every distress and pain or illness or disease, then how is it that I am subject like David was to feeling like a bottle in the smoke? What is there to be negative about? If I can take confidence that God's going to deliver me, even though I'm walking through the valley, why should I hang my head low? Since God will deliver me out of them all, then what is it that I need to be negative for? But when you consider our human nature, there must be a reason. There's something to this bottle in the smoke. The bottles which David was referring to were commonly made in the eastern parts of the world from leather skins. And they would hang these bottles in tents where smoke had, the had no opportunity or little opportunity to escape, then they would become, as a result of the smoke, very dark and very dingy in their appearance. And these bottles became the emblem. They became the icon and the symbol of distress, discomfort, and sorrow. And the intended meaning here is that by affliction and sorrow in his life, David had been reduced to a state that would be well represented by that bottle. You could look at the bottle in its dark and dingy state of distress and sorrow. And in his mind, he's saying, if you look at this bottle, then you're looking at me because that's exactly who I am. David's valley was deep. David's sorrow was deep. David's, David's uh, life is just in distress and pain at this point. And he just can't seem to uncover himself from where he's at. Because his affliction was great, he was the object of God's pity. It's as though David was saying, Lord, make haste to help me. For I have become a bottle in the smoke. A leather bottle which hung in the smoke only comes out blackened with soot and dried and parched and shriveled up. David was wasted by age. 
David's been a man. At one point, he was, we, we call him Rudy-faced, based on how the Bible terms it. He was, he was a, a guy that in his younger years, uh, he, he didn't need Brother Jordan. He didn't need a razor for his face. He didn't even have peach fuzz. There, there, his face was just smooth. He was beautiful to look upon. He, he had the countenance of a king. and He was anointed king as a teenager, and it took about 20 years to actually get to the throne. You Bible readers know the story tonight. Uh, David was a man that although he was anointed king, he was an expert marksman. He was a man that often went to war and, and went to battle, and he followed the will of God for his life and led men into battles. Now David is a man that's been wasted by age. He's been wasted by sorrow. He's made some mistakes along the way. And things just haven't always worked the way that he wanted them to. Is anybody seeing the picture tonight? Is anybody drawing any parallels to your own individual life? David is a man that the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. But yet David's been wasted with sorrow. David's been wasted by mistakes and decisions he's made that didn't turn out right because he sinned in the sight of God. But yet now David recognizes he is simply no more than a bottle in the smoke. He's afflicted. He's sorrowful. He's got things in his life that he doesn't need. And he's walking a path that he wishes that he would not be walking. David is now in the lowest state of mind that possibly he has been in his entire life. He looks upon this despised vessel and he determines that that vessel right there, that broken, dried up, shriveled up leather bottle represents me well because I've got nothing good to offer. In other words, all David could do was reach up to touch bottom. Amen. David had been reduced to such a low state of life. David's the king. David is the king of Israel. David is anointed by God. I hope somebody's hearing me tonight. David was anointed by God, but yet he's been reduced to this state to where he has nothing left to offer anybody. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me and hear me well tonight. Your valley does not determine your anointing. My God, I feel the presence of the Lord. Your valley experience does not determine your anointing, nor does it negate the anointing that God has established for your life. You hang on just a little bit longer. There is a deliverance on the other side of the valley. Don't let go of God's anointing for your life just because you're in a valley. Somebody lift your hands and worship the Lord together. My God, we worship you. I'm talking to a group of people tonight that yes, you've made mistakes. Yes, you have demonstrated your humanity. Yes, there is none in this building, not even the man that holds this microphone, that is without error or mistake. We have all, as the Bible declares, sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I want you to understand me and understand me well tonight that just because you are where you're at tonight in this service, that does not mean God's through with you. That does not mean God doesn't have anything better for you than this. What it does mean is you're in the right place at the right time. For God to make a transition in your life that the anointing you once had that God can deliver you to that same anointing once again but you've got to hang on through the affliction somebody shout hallelujah the Living Bible records this verse of scripture this way and says, I am shriveled like a wine skin in the smoke, exhausted with waiting. 
But still I cling to your laws and obey them. That is a very important step there, ladies and gentlemen, that when you're going through your valley, when you're going through your, your experience of lowliness, don't give up on God. Don't give up on what God has established in your heart. Don't lose the victories that God's already delivered you to just because of today's errors and today's mistakes. And maybe you're in a place you haven't even done anything wrong, but life has positioned you to where you're at. That doesn't mean that God's done with you, but you still need to hold on and cling to the law of God and obey the word of God even in the midst of affliction. Too many times our adversary, our devil that wants you to fail. Too many times, O oh Lucifer, that wants to give you illusions and wants to cause you to trip and wants to cause you... His ultimate desire tonight is not just that you backslide. We've got to understand that. He wants more from you than just a backslide. He absolutely and undeniably wants to destroy every single thing about you. Let me tell you where that starts. That starts in church. Being destroyed by your enemy starts in church. It doesn't start when you walk out. It doesn't start when you quit. It starts at church when you don't engage. It starts at church when you don't connect anymore. When you're just here. I, I've not come tonight to be critical in my preaching. I must be real. If we don't connect with God when we're here, we've wasted our time. As an individual, if you don't connect with God, see, because it's your responsibility to connect with God. Yeah, this isn't in my notes, but that's all right. It's our responsibility to usher us into the presence of God. But ladies and gentlemen, once we get in the throne room spiritually, it is your responsibility to connect with the heavenlies. And I connect with God through my worship. I connect with God through praise. I connect with God through prayer. I connect with God through my worship. And I give God the worth that He deserves. And when you don't do that, you have just set the stage in your life to become a bottle in the smoke. And a bottle in the smoke is the first step to where that you have a 50-50 chance. You're either going to make it or you're going to quit. And that's not because the illusion is so great. That, de that is determined by whether or not we cling to His laws and obey them or whether we look to the will of man. It is important that we understand when you're at church, being at church, being at church does not represent your Christianity. We've got it backwards if we think being at church makes us a Christian. I realize this is a contradiction to today's religious society, but this is the Word of God. Being at church does not make you a Christian. Any more than me laying myself down in your garage makes me a Porsche. It doesn't work that way. What makes me a Christian is who I am when I leave this house of worship. Well, hold on to me now. 
I've got to be the person I need to be out there. Even when I'm suffering afflictions. Oh, glory. I've got to cling to the laws of God and I've got to obey. If I want victory now, I've got to cling to His law. I must obey His word when I'm outside the church doors. Even when I'm smack dab downtown metropolitan valley. When things aren't going well. When it seems that all hell has been opened up in my life. And to add to the controversy, I've made mistakes on top of it. And if I'm not who God wants me to be there, then I may not be who God wants me to be in here. You can look at things through God's eyes or you can see them through yourself. Those are generally our two options. When you're walking through a valley, you either start praying and you start seeking God's face for what He wants or you you self-diagnose. The one thing that doctors hate the most, self-diagnosing. You self-diagnose, well, I think I need to do this. Mm. I'm not looking to see any, any recognition as to whether anybody's been there or not because I don't have to. If you're human, I know you've been there. And what we need to understand in this hour is that while you may get exhausted with waiting, it's still worth it. It's still worth it. There is a victory in the end. Well, I don't understand everything. Welcome to the club. There's a whole lot of things I don't understand. And there's a lot of things I'll never understand. As a matter of fact, I've come to the conclusion, Brother DePriest, there's some things I don't even think I want to understand. I think I'm better off in my walk with God if I don't understand Him. Because He is in ultimate control anyway, why don't I just let go and just let Him do His thing? Something that is shriveled, it's dried up, it's withered. David said in Psalm twenty-two, fifteen, 15, he said, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. A potsherd is a fragment of broken pottery. Job, in chapter 2 of his book that bears his name, used a potsherd to scrape the sores on his body. The sharp points of a potsherd are compared to the scales of Leviathan in Job 41. Leviathan, according to the book of Job, was a sea monster. Its word means the twisted one. It's often noted as the likeness of an alligator or a crocodile. It's it's dry. It has no moisture to it whatsoever. And it's rough and it's sharp. The dryness of a potsherd is likened to one whose strength is totally gone. The absolute goal of our adversary, ladies and gentlemen, is to make each of us feel as though we are nothing more than a washed up, dried up has-been. Wants to make us feel in our spirit as though we have nothing to offer. So why should I even try? I can't do anything about the situation I'm in anyway, so why don't I just go ahead and do my own thing? Amen. That that is often our mentality. And then what we do is we make more mistakes. And we dig ourselves deeper and deeper. Yeah, God can still get you out. It's not God's that's the problem. It's us. 
It's not a lack of power on God's part. It's a lack of understanding on ours. We've got to understand the situation we're in. David was exhausted with waiting. He's exhausted to the point that he felt like a potsherd. All of his strength is gone. All of his power is gone. He has no strength to make it on his own any further. But the Bible says still he would cling to God's word and obey it. Because you see, it doesn't take a lot of strength to obey the word of God. Amen. It doesn't take a, super, super, doesn't take a supernatural power to obey God. All it takes is a willingness. You can be weak, you can be without power, and you can still obey. There was the man with the withered hand. Luke chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says, And looking round about, bound, round about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. He didn't lay hands on him. He didn't prophesy to him. He didn't read his mail. He didn't tell him what he had for breakfast. He didn't tell him what his mother's maiden name was. All he said was, Stretch forth thy hand. Oftentimes, we get into situations where that we cannot figure out ourselves. If you've been around apostolic long enough, one of the things that we love is for a prophet to come to town. We got one coming in a week from now. We love for them to come because, oh, I want to get in line. I want to hear from God. And I'm not knocking that. There is a ministry of that, and it's biblical. But that should not be our first recourse of action. God needs from us a willingness to listen to Him. He shouldn't have to perform a miracle every time we need something. Because it is a miracle for a man that you don't know to stand in front of you and tell you everything you're going through. I classify that as a miracle. And it's awesome. And we've witnessed that in this church more times than I can count. And I'm thankful for it. I believe in it. I support it. But that should not be our ultimate desire where that when we're going through something that we just stop everything. We stop obeying. We stop working. We stop teaching. We stop singing. We stop coming to church. To where whenever I hear from God, then I'll do it. Pick up your Bible. You've heard from God. That's as good a word of God as it is when a prophet stands in front of you and says, Thus saith the Lord. Somebody shout amen. Now, when God chooses to speak to you through the, the virtue of a prophet, just be thankful for it. But be careful. You may not get what you asked for. <laughs> oh, Lord. You, you could get, behold, the judgment of the Lord is upon you. Behold, I have seen the handwriting of the wall. So be careful. I approached our pastor a couple of months ago privately and, and bore my heart to him and I told him, I said, I need to hear from God. I said, yeah, the easy thing would be to say, I, I need a prophet to call me. I said, I don't care if it's that, a song, a dream, a nightmare, 
I don't care what it is. I just need to hear from God. His words were, I understand. I'll help you pray. What we often do, because we're people, because we're flesh, and all I'm trying to do tonight is my job to remind us of what we should do. But what we often do when we get into these situations is we want to rush things. Because we're exhausted with waiting. And preacher, you're telling me I've got to wait some more? Yes. But I'm exhausted with waiting. That's all right. Just keep obeying God. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. God loves faithfulness. God answers faithfulness. So what happens? What happens to a woman or a man to make them feel like a bottle in the smoke? It's the weight. It's the weight. It's not always the issue. It's the weight of getting out of the issue. It's the weight that occurs through the affliction stages that often cause us to waver in our commitments. So now what do we do about it? How can this be overcome? Isaiah 61 and 3 says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. How is it that this can happen? It happens with a song of deliverance. It happens with a conscious choice to praise. And I, I'll tell you tonight, I apologize if the answer is not as deep and philosophical as you expected. But the answer to getting yourself out of being a bottle in the smoke is singing. Now before you go getting scared, and thinking that I'm going to pass the mic around and that we're going to sing Kumbaya together. That is not my intentions, nor is it what I am trying to preach. But there is a virtue in worship. How can a song be so powerful? How can you tell me that I can get my deliverance in worship? Number one, I can tell you that because I've seen it. I've witnessed people get the Holy Ghost during service, nobody laying hands on them. Just praising. Holy Ghost fall. Boom. I haven't seen it that way too many times, but it's pretty sweet when it happens. I've seen people healed in worship. I've seen people get their deliverance in worship. I know a pastor tonight that used to, he had a man in his church that had back problems. And, and that man come into church and, and he sat two-thirds of the way back and he was just all, all bent over and he was generally a worshiper. But he come in and he was in pain and he was in agony and he, he, he drug himself to church and that's admirable. But while he was there, he didn't do anything. He didn't offer God any praise. He didn't pray to the Lord. He just sat there and, and, and didn't do anything and he blamed his pain for it. And I'm not trying to be critical to anybody that has pain tonight. And trust me, you, if you knew me, you'd understand. But uh, this pastor got to the pulpit. There was a good season of worship going on. He called the brother by name. He said, brother, if you want God to heal you, get out in the aisle and worship. Now, understand tonight, in our flesh, we look at that and we think, my, that's cold. Doesn't he have any sympathy whatsoever? 
Yeah, he does. That's why he said it. Because he understands the power of worship. He understands that God is able to deliver in worship. Because when you give God the worth that he deserves, anything is possible. The story goes on that that man, I know this pastor personally, that that man, uh, they looked back just a little bit later, he had his hands up and he started worshiping. He started obeying his pastor. He had his hands up, started worshiping, and just a little bit later he was back by the back wall dancing, dancing in the spirit, hands lifted up, back straight up. Why? Because when you enter into a season of worship, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Somebody shout Hallelujah. Let me tell you this way. This is going to sound critical, but just listen to me. If you, don't, if you worship God less today than you did when you first got saved, if you worship God less today if you did when you first got saved, then you've taken a step backwards. Because the greater our understanding, the deeper our worship should be. Understanding does not mean we don't worship. Understanding deepens our sense of worship. We, we don't need to get so uh, finessed in our worship with God or in our walk with God that we can come to church and just, oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and go home and feel good about that. The depth of your worship is different for everybody. I'm not calling everybody to leap or to jump. What you need to do is worship. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we find the story of Jehoshaphat and the victory, a victory in 2 Chronicles 20, a victory that was wrought by singing. The Bible tells us that Jehoshaphat inquired of the Lord when he was surrounded by his enemy. And God told King Jehoshaphat that the battle was not his, but God's. That sounds familiar today. Our battles are not ours. So Jehoshaphat, when God told him that the battle was not his... That means it's not a fleshly battle. Put your guns, or they didn't have guns, put your, put your, your bow and arrow back in the sling, put, it, put your rocks back in their holster, and, and just stand back a little bit. Jehoshaphat appointed singers to go out in front of the army. That'd be a bad day to be a singer right there. Lord have mercy. I'm in the wrong calling, I'll tell you that right now. They put the singers on the front line and put all the guys with the ammo behind them. You get in the picture? Put all the worshipers, all you that come up front and worship, you in front of the guys with the guns and the arrows. The Bible says when the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem began to sing and to praise, that the Lord sent set ambushments against the enemy. And the enemies got so confused because they heard this noise. God took their praise and He magnified it. He magnified the volume of it to be so loud that they sounded like hundreds of thousands of people. Scared the enemy so much they started running against each other and killing each other. The children of Israel, the children of Jerusalem and Judah, they never had to kill anybody. The enemies destroyed each other. They did their own dirty work for them. All because of worship. 
That's what happens in the spirit world when you come into church. Don't underestimate the power of worship. If you've had a bad day, if you've had a bad valley experience and things just aren't going right, you come in here and worship, God's going to magnify your worship. And He's going to set some things before you in your valley. He's going to move some enemies out of your way. You may not see it, you may not know it, you may not recognize it, but I guarantee you it's happening. And how you can get a good gauge of how it's happening, don't do it and see how bad things get. The things that God would have moved out of your way may still be there. Psalm 32 and 7, I close with this tonight, says, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Singing will defeat every foe while paving a way of escape for you. You may not sing from a microphone, but if you can just lift your hands during worship and begin to sing songs unto the Lord, sing praise unto Him. I don't care if you're singing in the shower. Sing praise unto Him. Sing in the car. Wherever you're at. Why why does that matter? Well, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. It says... Speaking to yourselves. I do a lot of praying and talking to myself in the car. I admit, I probably look like a psycho. Somebody pulls up and I'm over there just going at it. Did they see me or didn't they? Then you you grab your phone real quick. Try to make it look good. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, hymns or songs, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You can do that at work. You can do that at home. In the car. Definitely at church. You can have victory. The victory is often found in your worship. We need a song of deliverance. Why don't you stand with me tonight? We need a song of deliverance. I'm going to ask Brother Terry to come. He's going to sing a song. This altar is open. I would like to ask as many of you that are willing to, want to, just come around this altar and worship the Lord. We're going to close with the season of worship because we need a song of deliverance. And if you need a song of deliverance tonight, this is, this is what you need. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.